Well, like I said, my name is Matt Cole. I'm the worship pastor here at ACC. My wife, Caitlin, and I have been here for almost six years now, which is hard to believe. This is my, I know, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. That Venmo request is, will be accepted soon. Um, we are about to be, well, we're technically parents, but like we're having a child in two months. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so almost like two months from today, um, like we are due on a Sunday. Ain't that like the Lord? Ain't that like the Lord? You know, school's coming back and, you know, typically we see August as like the busiest time for Auburn Community Church and, and I'm honored to play an important role in that. And so God was like, but I'm going to give you a child on the first Sunday back for the university. Um, and that's the Sunday that you're going to do some special stuff with ACC, which we're going to announce soon. Um, I probably won't be there, um, but like I said, we're, we're about to have a child. I'm so, so excited. I was reminded of, of the reality of fatherhood um, the other day. I was walking up to Orange Theory, and yeah, holla. We got a crew over here. We got an Orange Theory crew over here. Um, and I was walking up to the 615 class. I know I get up early. I was intercessing for the nations before then. Um, I'm just kidding. I was asleep. I rolled out of bed and I was like, oh, I got to go work out. And I'm walking up to the door to, to you know, stand in line to go in class. And uh, one of our church members who shall not be named, he was like, man, you look tired. And I was like, dude, it's six o'clock. Of course I'm tired. And he's like, you don't even have a kid yet. And I was like, you're so right. So I was like, wake up, man, wake up. Suck it up, buttercup. You got this. Um, so the reality of that is, is soon to be setting in. And so if anyone has anything to tell me other than how tired we're going to be, it is so accepted, like so welcomed and so wanted um, again. And, and since it's Father's Day and I'm, you know, scientist, technically a father, but you know what I mean. I wanted to kind of share just a little Father's Day dad joke with you, if I may, if I may. I, look, I was born to be a dad because I've had these jokes forever. Like, I mean, now God is like, unleash your gifting. And I'm like, I'm here for this. I'm here for this. So I heard about little Johnny the other week. He was in Sunday school class, First Baptist, wherever. And um, he was in Sunday school class, and he was learning about the creation of the world. And his, his teacher, Sunday school teacher, God bless all of them. They formed so many of us, former Baptists. He, he looks at Johnny and the whole class, and he says, and you know how God created Eve? He pulled a rib from Adam's side and made Eve. Johnny's, wow. So later that week, little Johnny's mom walks up the stairs and, and in his bedroom, and little Johnny's laying there, and he's, he's kind of in pain. He sounds a little ill, and he's, he's holding his side, and his mom said, little Johnny what's wrong? And he said, mom, I think I'm having a wife. I mean, that's pretty good. That was pretty good. Some of you, some, it was like, understand, understand, under, oh my gosh, I get it. Like, that, was, that was actually like a wave of getting that. Um, so anyways, that, that's free. That's for you. Um, if you want more, I spent a lot of time recently looking up dad jokes to add to the repertoire. So anyways, we have been in a series uh, in 1 Peter, for those of you who, like me, um, were Baptists growing up. Um, it's called 1 Peter. But for those of you who have an Instagram account, it's called Built Different. It's called Built Different. 
that's what we're in. Um, and I want to continue in that series. Um, two weeks ago, Miles started this series uh, with a message called Chosen Exiles. And he opened with starting in the opening of First Peter by saying, you have been chosen exiles, meaning God has chosen you to not fit into this world, right? He's saying, you have been purchased. Peter said, you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. No one can take that away from you. And because of that, because you now know this truth and you've been purchased with the pure blood of Jesus, you're going to stand out. And that's okay. Because that's how you were created to be. As children of God, you will stand out and be an example. And so that is that chosen exile. We're chosen, we belong in the family of God, but we're in the world, not belonging to the world. And then last week, talked about experiencing the presence of God with Peter's reminder of the command from God to be holy as the Lord your God is holy. We talked how that being holy is a, is a retuning, a constant retuning of our hearts. And that holiness, being set apart as God is, is the doorway to experiencing his presence. How powerful, but what a daunting command to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. But Peter has so encouraged us with his words that we have been purchased. We are in. Like if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in. And so before we continue, I, I kind of want to tune our hearts in this moment. You know, Miles talked about how I'll get up here and I'll, I'll be frantically tuning because you don't know how long he's praying. It's like, oh my goodness, this is out of tune. How long is he praying? Is he feeling it right now? You know, but it's because literally the air conditioning in here, it will, will throw it off and the body heat in here will throw off the guitars. Just the smallest thing can untune what was literally just in tune. I think some of you are feeling what I'm saying right now. Like, the smallest thing can throw us off. And so it's been a week since we've sat in church together. And I pray that you've been studying the word. You've been meditating on it. You've been spending time with God. But I want to retune us in this moment with a quote. I was given a book this week on the pursuit of holiness. And as I was reading it, this quote stood out. And I hope and pray that this retunes us in this moment. Author Jerry Bridges says this, In our day, we must begin to recover a sense of awe and profound reverence for God. We must begin to view him once again in the infinite majesty that alone belongs to him who is the creator and supreme ruler of the entire universe. This is key here. There is an infinite gap in worth and dignity between God the creator and man the creature, even though man has been created in the image of God. The fear of God is a heartfelt recognition of this gap, not a put down of man, but an exaltation of God. And so I want to start in that place this morning and just ask you the question, this is a rhetorical question. Have you been in awe and wonder and reverence of God this week? 
Have you realized the infinite gap of worth between who he is and who you and I are? Again, like he said, this is not a put down of man, like we're not worth anything. That's not true. We've been created in the image of God. Therefore, we are of tremendous value, purchased with an eternally valuable substance that is the blood of Jesus. So that shows our value. But even in that extreme value, there is still an infinite gap between your worth, my worth, and who God is. And again, we say this so that our eyes would be turned upward to go, God, I am so not you. I am not God. And I don't have everything figured out. And, and I just want to know you. That's, what we're, that's our starting point today. And I hope that you will go on this journey with me. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. And I love that we started this last week. I don't know if it's just a series thing or if we're going to keep doing it, but would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? I love that last week. Love that. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 22, Peter writes this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Your Bible will probably have a footnote there that says from a pure heart. 23, for you have been born again, he reminds us again, we've been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God for, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah here, which his readers would be familiar with this, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Today's message is called From a Pure Heart. Would you pray with me really quick? Father God, in Jesus' name, we come before you asking for understanding. We just need your spirit to communicate to us what your word is saying, what you intend for us to hear and know and do, and who you intend for us to be in light of who Jesus is. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So again, today's message is called From a Pure Heart, and I want this to be a simple message. I was studying this week and, and just reading the word, and it was just reading me right back, teaching me and and exhorting me in so many ways. And Peter just really continues. It doesn't even feel like he takes a breath from where we left off yesterday. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from a pure heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass. On all their glory is the flower, like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter is saying something very interesting here. If you look in verse 
22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Peter is saying, your belief, like Jesus opening your eyes by the power of his Holy Spirit and the word that has been preached to you, that is your obedience. Believe that or not, isn't it just like the Lord to be so good that he would just count belief that we didn't even really have much to do with as obedience? Like he's literally saying, you didn't even have to do anything. Like I just got done, Peter, I just got done saying, be holy as the Lord is holy. You haven't even had time to do anything since I've written that. And I'm saying you've already purified yourselves by obeying. Because the word that is spoken to you is of imperishable seed. God has done something in you that is irrevocable no matter what you do now. Like if you are in Christ, you're in Christ. Like there's no like removal from Christ. You can ask Miles more about that when he gets back. But I just want you to know, I want you to know that we stand firm on that. That when you have been saved... When the word, the imperishable seed of the word of God has entered your soul, you are saved. And you are in Christ Jesus. We've been born again. He's reminded us already what he said in verse 3. He said, you've been born again. I think this is a theme of the gospel that you and I needed a rebirth, like a a start over, a do-over. Like, hey... You must start over, and this is the blood of Jesus that has covered you for a new beginning. He reminds us of what the prophet Isaiah says. He reminds the people the dispersion of the church. He says, just remember this. As you're going about, as you're fulfilling the great commission of our Savior, that even as you're doing that, and even as you're you're working, and you're getting titles, and you're becoming part of these communities, in whatever capacity you are achieving, that has nothing to do with the, the ability for the word to remain. Like, and what I mean by that is that your achievements mean nothing in light of how good and permanent and infinite the word is. So you can do nothing. You can achieve nothing. You can attain no status that trumps the importance and endurance of the word in your life. Because those titles, those positions, they fall, they fade, they wither like grass. And in the world's eyes, flowers are gorgeous. And if I could just have a position that is that attractive, if I could have a bank account that's that attractive, then I would be okay. But guess what? Newsflash, don't know if you have any horticulturalists in the building, Flowers all die, like they literally all die, every single one of them. But you're like, but what about annuals? They die and they come back the next year. Yeah, but they died. Like like there was a season that they were beautiful, and then they died and had to regrow. And so Peter's reminding his audience, hey, your achievements mean nothing. They sustain no part of you. What sustains you is the word that's been preached to you. Basically what he's saying is your holiness is no longer dependent on your belief. It's dependent on your love. Hear me out on this. What Peter is saying is, hey, you have been attributed, you have been attributed and credited righteousness because of the word that you've believed. 
Like, you're in, okay? So this is like a family conversation now. This is, we're talking inside the church. We're talking brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, okay, you're in. That's over here. We've talked about that. We've addressed that. You're born again. You're here. What, what Peter is saying, though, is that you are to love each other from a pure heart, and so now that the belief is there, we're in Jesus Christ, I'm confident of that. Now Peter's saying, here's the key, is to love one another deeply. So the first love that he uses in Greek is this phileo love, okay? The, you hear Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which hopefully in Jesus' name, tonight, the Atlanta Hawks <laughs> will actually do something the city of Atlanta has not seen in a long time. I was at the last Eastern Conference Finals. I saw J.R. Smith hit seven threes. I was sitting next to his mom, all right, like dead serious. So I'm like ready for some redemption. This is a book of redemption, I believe. I'm just kidding. That is not my theology, by the way. Like, please stop praying for sports. Like, please stop praying for sports. Philippians 4.13 was never intended for you to do anything in sports, okay? Love Tim Tebow. What? Like, that is not the application there. That was written from prison for sharing the word of God. So just, that's not fourth and ten. Anyways, that's a whole nother sermon. I'm preaching now. Um, don't get me started. Um, anyways, so back to the sermon. So Peter used phileo which is this brotherly love. And then the next sentence of his imperative to love one another from a pure heart is this agapao love. It's a deeper love. It's a more sincere love. It's not this like, ha ha, kind of love. It's like a, hey, I'm like deeply with you in this. Like we're entrenched in the war together. We love one another deeply. This is the first moment of application from last week's message. Peter is saying, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And then in this moment, he's saying, here's how you become holy. You love one another from a pure heart. If you read commentaries on this passage all day, people are affirming, hey, this is Peter's first practical step in how to become holy. You know, we've heard that. It's like, I want to be holy. I want to be set apart. But how does that happen? Remember, Miles talked about, hey, it's not about behavior anymore. We're talking deeper than that. This is a depth of love for one another that Peter's like, hey, you can't experience holiness if you don't love one another. He's saying you cannot be holy alone. So if you and I want to pursue holiness alone, we will absolutely cap the experience we have of the presence of God. I'll sum it up like this. I think this is what Peter is saying. Again, based on studying and reading over and over, saying if you cannot love the people of God, you cannot enjoy the presence of God. If you and I, we're in this together, if you and I cannot love the people of God, the other people around us, the brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot enjoy the presence of God. Notice, I'm not saying you can't enter the presence of God. That's key. But can you actually, do you actually believe, do I actually believe 
that if I am not purely loving the people around me who also call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, that I'm genuinely going to enjoy the presence of the one who told me to love the person next to me? Do we really think that we're going to fool ourselves and to say, no, 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 we're good, we're good, we had a fight, we're fine, we're fine. I don't, really can't stand him, but God, Lord, I, I need a race. You know, it's like, again, that's not what I'm saying we're praying for, but what I'm saying is we're coming towards God with these hearts that are, are broken and hurt towards one another in Christ. And we're thinking that we're going to just be filled up in this moment when God has said, hey, they're going to know you by your love for one another. Like, that's a fact. You can't enjoy his presence to its fullness if you can't love the people around you. And I think this is where the super practicality of this, this passage comes in. Peter has written, hey, love each other because of the word that has been planted in you. He goes down and in, in the first verse of chapter 2, he says this, therefore, okay, so in the Bible, when you're studying the Bible, when you get to a, a part that says therefore, that means because of everything I just told you, you need to do this. Like the next sentence, it's very important for you. That's the reality of that word. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. That one sentence, he's saying, because of the word, because you know that your love is supposed to be deep, there is something that will absolutely stop that from happening. It's these things. You must get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. We don't really talk about these words much. We, we talk about hypocrisy, but like when's the last time you looked at someone and you were like, I believe you're filled with malice? I mean, seriously, and, and we don't really use the word deceit. We're just like, you're a liar, you know, like that's, anyways, um, if you just knew what went through my mind half the time, envy, we don't, we don't really talk about that and slander, like we're like in court, like you slandered me, you know, like we don't do duels anymore, Alexander Hamilton style, like we don't, we don't do that. And so I kind of wanted to to talk about these just for a second so we understand. But I, I do think that one of the reasons we don't talk about this is not that they're just foreign words to our vocabulary. I think that we do know what they mean. We just functionally live in them. And so it's like, oh, Peter, relax, my man. Like, we're good here. Like, it's all right. But I want to give us an understanding of what these are really quickly. That malice, if you didn't know actually what malice is, it's the intent, the deep heart intent to sin against someone else, to do evil against someone else. That is a deep one. We do, we do evil and sin against other people because we've been sinned against. Deceit is dishonesty with the intent of hurting someone else. Stop me when it feels convicting, all right? I'm already there. Um, we're dishonest with people because we just want to be a, seen a little bit better. We just want to navigate ourselves a little bit better into a better position than they're in, in life. And I don't really necessarily care at times how it affects you 
as long as I can just be positioned correctly. Hypocrisy. Okay, this is a definition from Wayne Grudem. He's a genius. And this resonated, unfortunately, with me. He said, hypocrisy is the masking of inward evil with an outward show of righteousness. That hypocrisy is the masking of inward evil with an outward show of righteousness. Show. Like he's saying, you're acting. It is a facade. This one hit me right in the heart. I think we're all guilty of this at times. This whole list, honestly. And Peter knows that. He's like, hey, I know you struggle with this. Peter was a man. Peter struggled. Hello, denying Jesus three times. Like he knows what this is like. He's saying this from experience. He's like, I've been there. So I know that even though you have the utmost confidence, which Peter would have had because he had been restored to this position by Jesus, he's saying, I know that this is going to stop you from the effectiveness of love that we must have as the church to build this thing up. And he said, get rid of envy. It's the opposite of thankfulness for good that comes to others. It's jealousy. I want you to have nice things. I want you to have a great job. I want your family to be perfect. I just want mine to be a little bit better. Yeah, that's conviction. I'll just let that sit there. Slander, speaking poorly of someone with the intent to hurt their reputation or status. Hello, Southeastern Conference states. Like, that is like, look... I just want you to pray for Betty. She just, she bought this Dooney and Burke. And I know that someone loved that. Someone was like, someone was like, no one does that anymore. It's not Dooney and Burke, it's Louie. Uh, and, and I just know, I know they've been struggling. And I know she shouldn't have bought that. But y'all, let's pray for her. And it's like, What? No, you just wanted to look better than them. Like you just wanted to slander their name. You wanted to change someone's view of them just slightly so that the view of yourself would be a little bit better. And so this is deep rooted stuff. And y'all, I will be the first to admit that I'm guilty of these things at times. I'll be the first one to admit that there are moments in my life where I am the biggest hypocrite in the room, where I know that I have said something or done something, and in a moment because of positionally where I am, I've got to make sure that people see this show of righteousness. While on the inside, wrestling with the sin that I aim at everybody else. These, these sins that Peter is talking about, this list, these are deep rooted places in our hearts, like really deep. They're so twisted. If we could just be honest for two seconds with one another, this malice, this slander, this, this envy, this deceit, this hypocrisy against one another brings so much joy to the enemy. He loves it. He absolutely loves it when you and I just aren't quite there with each other. When I still want to feel just a little bit better than you. When I want you to see me as just a little more important than him or her or them. 
It's all about control. You and I struggle with just wanting control over the narrative of our lives, what people think, what people do. And Peter is saying, you cannot experience holiness if you continue in this way. He said, rid yourself of these things. Like, literally get rid of them. Do away with all of them. I think one of the things that drives this in us is the feelings of we've been hurt before. And we've, we've put ourselves out there in trust. We've put ourselves out there in love. And we've been hurt. And so now, what do we do? We recoil and we put up the defenses. These are sinful defenses. That is what these are. And Peter is saying, put down your weapons. Let the walls fall down in Jesus' name because of the imperishable word that's been preached to you. You no longer have to play this game anymore. Come into freedom. Taste and see that the Lord is good because you have tasted You know this, so why do we continually aim these things at each other to protect ourselves from one another? We're all in the same boat. The the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Like, that's, that's just a fact. And so we should be leaning in to one another, not away from each other. I was reading this article on being created for community by just a genius of a man, Dr. Sam Kim, founder of 180 Church in New York City. It's a study done on 20,000 adults, 18 years and older. And this is 2018, by the way. So just remember this. This is 2018. Nearly half, that's 10,000 people out of the 20,000, felt occasionally or consistently alone. 43% felt as though their relationships were inconsequential. About 40% felt like no one would understand them. That's 2018. This is pre-2020 pandemic, everyone goes home alone. So imagine what those statistics would be now. And in this, he's talking about our our desire, our innate creation for community. And he says this, no wonder so many people feel deeply alone and disconnected. If the residual imprint for community of the Trinity is lodged that deeply within our hearts, nothing will ever feel right until there is a homecoming of a sort. In four quartets, T.S. Eliot imagines existentially what such a homecoming might feel like We should not cease from exploration, and at the end of all our exploring, we will arrive at the place we started and know the place for the first time. You and I were created to be in deep love with one another in the name of Jesus. This this headbutting, this malice, this sin aimed at one another to self-protect and preserve is dead in Jesus' name. That is now no longer what you and I are called to do. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Why would we taste that poison again? This is what we were created for. And so as I was preparing this and as I was reading and as God himself through his spirit was was convicting me of the moments that I have done this and are doing this, I thought, how, how? 
How can we literally rid ourselves of this and move forward? Peter, Peter is saying, hey, this holiness, th- this is a, an ever-occurring thing. Like, we talk about this all the time from this stage. It's the already but the not yet. You are holy because Jesus has declared it finished and done. The work is done. Like, you're holy. Jesus lives outside of our linear time. In his grace and his kindness, he chose to enter into that and be limited by that time. But now he is seated at the right hand of God and a thousand years is like a day to him. And so you and I believe that God is impatient in his working, but the word says God is not impatient as we deem him impatient. So you and I literally are saying, God, I'm, where's this holiness? Like you've said it's done, but I'm experiencing this in real time. Like I'm becoming more holy every day because of what you're doing, but I'm still struggling. <laughs> like I still, I still cannot get rid of this desire to slander. Like, I don't even want to, but it just happens. Like, I just find myself commenting on things here and there that just bring someone else down just a little bit. They're not even in the room to speak for themselves. How do I get rid of this? How do I get rid of this hypocrisy, this show of righteousness in light of the evil intent in my heart? And I will be so quick with these. I think there's three practical ways that we rid ourselves of this deep internal sin aimed at one another. I'm going to read them all together and then go through them individually. The first is by confessing where you've missed it. The second is by repenting out loud together. And the third is simple, by praying for one another. I think the first one, we get rid of these things by confessing where we've missed it. I think this this is important that it's on Father's Day. Fathers, I think one of the most powerful things that you can do in leading your family spiritually is to say, I'm sorry. That is not a statement, unfortunately, that you hear from men very often, but they demand it from everybody else. And that is not a slam on us as men. That is an exhortation to live a life pleasing to God, that we would be humble servants of everyone around us and we would admit when we have missed it. I want to encourage all of us, men and women alike, we must confess our sins to one another. We cannot keep them into ourselves. That is not biblical. Holding on to them and not confessing them to one another is not correct, the correct way of healing. God says, yes, confess your sins to me, but he also says in James, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is a confession to God and a confession to each other simultaneously that brings complete and full healing. This will break down those walls. The second you look at someone else and say, hey, here's what I've done. You want to talk about humility flooding in and overshadowing the shame and the guilt. I mean, it's amazing. Yes, you are opening yourselves up. But praise be to God that we're in the same boat. (laughs) Like if someone who is a fellow believer judges you in that moment, the Lord's going to handle that one. You know, because 
they're just not confessing what they've done. You know, it's like, just be the one who leads out in confession. Be the one who leads out in trusting the process of what God has ordained as community. Holy and righteous community. That is confession. Number two, we get rid of these things by repenting out loud together. Repenting is is this confession and turning away. So I'm going in this direction, whether that's drinking, greed, gluttony, lust, whatever direction of sin you're headed in, that's a confession, and I am not doing that anymore. But the power in this is saying it out loud to one another, because what happens in that moment is you are now accountable for your actions. One of the reasons we do not experience the holiness that God has intended for us is because we are not opening ourselves up to accountability to anyone. This is the point. This is the purpose. God is saying, you will become holy if you work together on this, if you confess to each other, if you keep each other accountable. But you have to know that this is the way that I've ordained this. You cannot do this alone. How often do we think we're going to keep ourselves accountable to something? Y'all, last week I was like doing this transformation challenge at OTF. Man, I am done with the old me. No more sweet tea this week. I'm done. Satan has no hole on me. Go to bow and arrow night two. I'll take a sweet tea and a water with lemon. Thank you so much. And I'm sitting there just drinking in my guilt and my shame. And so then I come into the office the next morning. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm like telling as many people as possible. I'm like, hey, I cannot have sweet tea. If you see me with a sweet tea, if you're with me at lunch, I cannot have a sweet tea. That's a simple example. But what I mean by this is we have to open ourselves up. We have to say something out loud to one another and open ourselves up to being accountable so that the Lord can do what he wants to do. The last thing is this. We get rid of these things by praying for one another. This is not a simple, God be, God be with Matt today. Amen. I'm talking about deeper. I'm talking about intercessory type praying for one another. Because if we've confessed to each other, if we've repented to each other, we now know what to pray for each other. But if you and I are just meeting up to have social club each week, how the kids, great, awesome. Where did you play this weekend? Oh, that's so awesome. Love AAU. Woo! Like, what pool are you going to this weekend? What golf course did you play this weekend? See ya, praying for you, love you. It's like, what are we doing? What in the world are we literally doing? <laughs> that is such a joke. It's like, that's great. All that stuff's wonderful. We want to have fun together. But if we are actively seeking to love one another from a pure heart, I know your stuff, and you know my stuff. And it's like, okay, let's, let's update on each other's schedules, what we did for Father's Day weekend, what we did for Memorial Day. Hey, how are you? Because I remember you told me in, in February that you're struggling with this. How's that going? Oh, gosh. It's like, oh, we're really doing this thing. Like, we're really, like, going to be holy together? Yep, we are. And then I go on your behalf to the heavenly father who I can approach his throne of grace with confidence because of what Jesus has done. And I say, father, in Jesus name, I'm just going to pick him out because he's right there. I come before you on behalf of Gage. Father, I know that he's struggling with this and I know that that's not his identity. 
I know that he is a son, he is a father, and you have called him to a pure and holy life. And I pray in Jesus' name that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would interrupt the moments in which he is tempted to sin, that you would recall to mind his mind moments where he has seen your faithfulness, when he's seen you make a way out, when, he's, when you have given him a word in his heart from your word. Would you in this moment, Father, give him strength to lead his family well? Would you give him strength to be a son? Would you give him the strength to walk this day out in Jesus' name? But to do that, you have to know what's going on. And you have to love them genuinely. And this, over time, will break down all these misconceptions we have of one another. Do you know that we just believe lies about each other? But as we're confessing and as we're repenting and as we're literally going to God on behalf of one another, these walls just come tumbling down. And all of a sudden, we look up a year or two, 10 years down the road, and we all look more like Jesus. And we look down the road and there's more people on the journey with us. Because Jesus in his faithfulness, he's come through on his promise that they will know you by your love for one another. And you and I are testament to that. We can't see and know that love without wanting to join in on it. We're all in this room at one point in time did not believe. So this isn't something that we just talk about within the four walls that maybe it works. It's like a science experiment. It's like, let's try it. No, like every single person in this room at one point was not a follower of Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the way, there was a group of people who were loving one another from a pure heart saying, God, do what only you can do. Look what's happening all over the world right now because of that. Pure-hearted love is always willing to be refined. It doesn't need to be perfect, but it's always willing to come back to the fire of the word of God and be refined again and again and again. And you and I will get this wrong. <laughs> we will get this wrong. More often than not. But may the word of God, the imperishable seed that has been planted in us, lead us to a depth of love for one another that cannot be shaken by petty, yes. twisted sin. That the enemy would not have an inch and that the name of Jesus should be glorified forever. May we love one another from a pure heart. Would you pray with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, we just come to you and we humbly ask you to do what only you can do in us. Your word is your word. It is no one else's. And so, Father, we give you our lives. We give you our hearts, our minds. We rid ourselves, not by our own power or behavior, but by your Holy Spirit of these things that get in the way of our love for one another. We ask you in Jesus' name to do what only you can do. As we worship you now, as we say, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, we are begging you, please do this because we know that you 
God who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. We no longer want to stand in the way. We open ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. We give you these times, these moments, our words, our praise, they're yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.